Well, hey everybody, welcome back to Braving the Journey. I'm your host, Zach Mathers. And I have Chrissy Rodriguez on today from Shame Free Sobriety. She is also one of the course guides for the Lived app. And guys, we, the so I'll just give you a little sneak peek. A little, little bit about t- today's conversation is talking a lot about how to live a shame-free life, shame-free sobriety, and this idea of radical self-compassion. Like, how do we love ourselves and have compassion for ourselves in a way that, that is just beautiful? And so I want to encourage you guys, listen through it. It's an amazing episode. Chrissy is just somebody that I was I'm inspired by the work she has done and the work that she continues to do on herself. Before we dive in, I want to say one last thing. So if you have not downloaded the Lyft app, do it. It's in the show notes. There's a link to it. Download it. It is a free app that has tons of amazing guides that kind of, if you are sober or sober curious or just wanting to check out how do I I just kind of grow in my life, it is an amazing, amazing app where you get these like daily courses you can go through, motivations. There's so much in there. So in the show notes, there's the app. I'm one of the guides. Check it out. Go listen to some of my courses that are inside that app. Let's do this. Let's dive into the conversation. Well, everybody, welcome back to Braving the Journey. And I have Chrissy Rodriguez on. And uh, Chrissy is one of the lived apps, which is like a sober app. And she is one of the guides. So she puts together content and creations. And so that is how I was able to connect with her. That is something that we both are doing. And Chrissy, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, absolutely. And so... With this, um, actually, let's do this. Before we we dive into your story, um, it helps me center. So I always like to ask my guests to share one thing and I'll share one thing. What is one thing that you are grateful for in this moment today? Oh my gosh, sunshine uh, and being able to just be outside with my kid most of nice. the day. <laughs> What is uh what is your what is temperature right now for you guys in, in Texas area? Um, right now it's dreamy. It's about 60, 70s with like a high of eighty five, which is just my my favorite place to be. It doesn't last you, long, but <laughs> you sounded like a perfect weather person right there. Like <laughs> yeah. dreamy, dreamy. I was like, oh perfect. That does sound nice actually. Like yeah. I'm like, we're we're creeping into like the summer temperatures in, in Hawaii yeah. where I'm like you wake up and it's hot and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, it doesn't cool off at night like I want it to. So yeah, we get yeah. that and it will start to happen and I will definitely be like inside more. So right now I'm like, this is the good time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. What my family. We're, well, okay. My, my grateful. Um, I got up this morning my son and I get up once a week. He's, he's um, 13 and once a week we do just kind of him and I morning time where we kind of get get up and we we talk and we process and we journal together and we just kind of share kind of dreams and like what he's thinking through. Um, so we actually had that this morning. So we were up early, even though it was his, he has school off today, but he got up with me still at 6 a.m. to kind of have that that space That's and time. So sweet. Yeah, it's it, to me it's like one of those like. Uh, I just, I look forward to it. Even this, even I was like, Hey, we could do it another day or we could do it later. You know? And he's like, no, dad, I want to get up early and do it. You know? And so, um, I love it. I love the, I love the time with him and I love the, that's a sign. That's how, you know, like you're doing a good job. Like that's a little sign that a a teenager is getting up early. (laughs) Well, he's a morning, he's a morning guy. Like he, 
he's the guy so like he's always like deck we go surf in the morning before school <laughs> so we got to get up early to go but he's usually the one that like his alarm goes off before mine and i get up and he's like already has like boards in the car like everything loaded he's like dad let's he's go going. and i'm like i need my coffee give me a second you know but he's yeah he's yeah he's a he's a motivated guy it's great so um that is so cool okay so i want to hear about you i want to hear your story because i mean the reality is none of us really when we were growing up said man i can't wait to be uh in the the sober space and you know it wasn't like it wasn't like aspiration or dreams for most most but (laughs) but but you're here you know and you're yeah you're over a year sober. You have shame-free sobriety. And so you, not only are you are you choosing sobriety for yourself, but you are also in the space of going, I want to help people, you yeah. know? And so um, what, tell me, what was your experience? Like what led you to the realization going like, alcohol is not serving me? Yeah. I well, I, uh, so I moved, I live in Texas. We lived in Nashville um, before we moved here. And the last year that we lived in Nashville, I had this really stressful job. Well, it was supposed to be my dream job. It was the job Mm. I was, you know, hyping up on social media. I was so excited. Um, And I just knew I was going to be perfect at it. And that's kind of how I'd gone through my life. Like, I'm going to achieve things and I'm going to be good at them. And that will make me happy kind of thing. You know, follow the pattern of of what success or whatever. What was the job, by the way? It was, it was, uh, so I, I still work for the company. It's a cookie company, but we were launching a, um, flagship store in Nashville, which if you don't know, Nashville is really touristy, um, and really kitschy. And there's this adorable, adorable street called 12 South. And it has all of these like coffee shops and stores and stuff. And they were making me in charge of our store on that street. Incredible opportunity. I was so honored. It was amazing. But when it actually came to pass, it it just, I had to really face the fact that I was not really at the place in my life where I could handle what that job needed of me, which was Mm. pretty much constant availability and being in charge of all these different personalities and and communicating, being this in-person between corporate and employees. And um, it was really just a space that I realized, oh, I'm not um, this is, this doesn't, isn't something that really makes me happy. Like it really stresses me out to be, to fulfill this role basically. Yeah. And with that stress, I can just remember when it started happening. I remember buying like a Boda box for a holiday or something and drinking from it all week, not just on like Thanksgiving or something. Right. And that was the first time I had really started to do that. And I was like, that's a little weird, but Hmm. not a big deal. And I just kept adding it onto my grocery list. And I can remember that holiday season being so crazy and knowing like, well, I always have this to go home to. I can always go home and open the Boda box or whatever. Yeah. And even then, I remember feeling like I have never relied on alcohol like this. Like this is probably not healthy, but I'm so stressed out that this is... This is what I have to do. What was what was your what was your upbringing kind of around alcohol? <laughs> so I was I was in a absolutely no alcohol household. Um, okay. My grandfather, actually, my mom's dad, died an alcoholic because mm. he um, he actually technically died of malnutrition. He stopped eating but kept drinking, and it was really really. I mean, 
my mom's own life was pretty hard with him in the house growing up. And so because of that, her pretty much none of her siblings like drink. She does now, but growing up, none of them did. And not even for like my mom, it was really religious reasons, but all of them were so traumatized by my, my grandpa. Yeah. So, and they, so swung, they swung the other way. Being like, mm-hmm, they said, yeah. fine, we're not going to drink. We don't care about anything else. And so my mom was both really religious, really strict. And basically when she met my dad, she said there will be no alcohol in the house. And so my dad didn't, he, he had drank before that. He drank, yeah. smoked, partied, all that, and was just like, okay. <laughs> so we moved into this very strict space. I mean, so strict that when I went to a party when I was 16 and I had like one shot, I, the next day I was sobbing to my mom. Mm. I felt so guilty. I felt like I, I had this idea in my head that I was going to get drink, get drunk and, and have sex and get pregnant and ruin my life. That was basically yeah. what my mom kind of instilled, like this really black and white world. Right. And so I think that is what also drove a lot of my shame around my drinking was I knew like immediately, like, I'm relying on this, but you know, I don't really have any other way to go. I'm not being perfect. So, right. you know, maybe whatever. And, um, that, that kind of was all now that you asked me that, and I look back on my relationship with alcohol, I can even see, like, I remember in college drinking a lot and then going through crazy periods of abstinence because I was like, I'm, I'm the worst. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, oh my gosh. And not even understanding then those patterns of swinging back and forth were Mm. really all motivated by shame. When I was trying to be perfect, that was also shame motivating me because I was living in this world of like, I'm not good enough, but if I'm perfect, I'll be good enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I would fail at whatever I was trying to win that, that day, like I would swing the other direction and be like, well, since I'm not perfect, I must be the worst. So let me, Mm. you know, whatever. And that just, that was a pattern that followed pretty consistently through my twenties. I was trying to con like reaching for things, like just trying to find purpose or something, you know? And when I finally got to this place in my life, I had moved away from Texas and lived in Nashville and was trying to just, you know, find myself, I guess. And when I hit this peak where I was living with my, he's now my husband, but we were engaged at the time and I'm living the stressful job, but everyone thinks it's amazing. I also was trying to become a cycle instructor in the middle of that too. So I was cycling four to five times a week. Like it was, it was now I can look at it and see, oh, that is someone who is like (laughs) drowning, you know, just grasping. But But, but see, I think our culture, almost like uh, busyness is like a badge of honor. Oh right? yeah. And so everyone like, was so proud of me. <laughs> yeah. It's like this, like, wow, look at you. You must be doing yeah. really well because you are yeah. so busy. And exactly. like, I fight that still. Like I fight that yes. constantly. This, this yes. urge to like be recognized or proven because I'm doing so much. Right. right. Versus like, what if I lived a life that I just was very simple and didn't do a lot? Like, yeah. And like, and was, was very satisfied. Right. Like yeah. it, it's such exactly. a weird, it's a, it, it's, that seems really foreign to me because like it's so is- counter cultural, honestly, yep. because it's it's you everyone wants to like win. That's the thing. But it's a false promise that if you win, you'll automatically be happy. Like if you get all of these things. And I think that's what where I was at was I was like, I got the house. I got the the guy. I'm, I got the job. Uh, I had just like had this crazy surgery and I'd like lost weight too. And so people were just, it was this idea of like, Oh, I'm, this is, I should be happy about these things. Everybody else is happy for me, you know? 
And um, it came to a point where I almost had a nervous breakdown. I, I don't know that. I didn't know that then, but now I do. I eventually kind of all came tumbling down at once. Like we were about to open the cycling studio and they pretty much told me like, you're not going to be on the schedule. And I had been training for six months and I was yeah. devastated. But now, mm. mm-mm, shouldn't have been good good for my mental health. <laughs> right. Was, but, but yeah. But yeah. And then my sister had just had a baby. And so we were like thinking about moving back to Texas and we listed our house on the market kind of just to see what would happen. And our house sold in like four days. And then as I was about to talk to my boss about this job, my assistant manager quit, like literally, and I was about to quit. And it just kind of all culminated in realizing like, this life that we've built here is not like, it doesn't have to stay this thing. Like we can leave, like we are free to mm-hmm. do something different. Yeah. And so we just kind of ripped a bandaid off and moved to Texas and life went from 100 to like 10. <laughs> like it was so yeah. slow out of nowhere. And that I think, um, I ended up getting pregnant a little bit after that. And I was drinking a lot right before I got pregnant. And I remember actually being so thankful that I got pregnant because I was like, oh, now I can't drink. Like yeah, now I know like for excuse. sure. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I know for sure I'm not going to drink for 10 months. And that I remember thinking, if it is that much of a, a relief, like, is this some something I should think about, you know? Mm. But I kind of, I don't know about you, but I always like, before I quit drinking, I had thought about it before. And I just was like, that's just not something that's possible. I'll just drink less. I don't I, yeah. like it was just if I saw someone get sober on Instagram that was young, I was like, that's not I'm not gonna follow them. <laughs> like, I just didn't want to believe that um, it could impact my life that negatively that I needed to quit, you know, hmm. not understanding that any amount can impact your life neg- negatively, because it's alcohol, you know, but right. I, I, think that pregnancy was a wake-up call for me because I struggled with a lot while I was drinking. Like my brain, um, I, I disassociated a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's it's basically like where your brain leaves your body for a while, where you kind of are on autopilot. So you're doing okay. what you need to do, but it's really hard to feel like you were there in your own body all day. It's it's right. very it's a trauma response. A lot of kids learn it if they grow up in in traumatic environments. But yep. it's also just like something that people can learn to do because our brains can imagine, right? You can literally do that. And so, the more that I drank, I think the exhaustion combined with the anxiety and all of these different things, like I would lose time even when I was sober during the day. Like I, yeah. I, I remember telling my husband, like, this doesn't, I've never felt like this before. Like, I don't feel like me. Mm-hmm. And which uh, makes a lot of sense. Like, because like, if you, if you add up those things, right, like the, the stress, the anxiety, the, all yeah. these components, your brain automatically goes like, I'm going to go autopilot because yes, I need to cope. Like it's yeah. like a, it's like a safety yes. mechanism. It's yes, injured, it is. Right? My brain was trying to keep me alive. Like my yep. brain was just trying to keep me going. And the rate, what I was doing to it, the amount of anxiety I was dealing with was, and the amount that I was drinking, like my brain, like you said, it was just survival, surviving, you know? Yeah. And and How, I can remember, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh no. So you're like in this process, like in this, like uh, amount you were drinking kind of, survival mode at the time what was like this something that your husband was going like hey i'm aware of or was this something that like you had anybody speak truth into your life or you know 
Right. Or did the pregnancy um, kind of put it all on, on pause for you, I guess? Yeah. Well, it was a little bit of both. So on one hand, before we got pregnant, every single time we got in a fight, I was drinking like every yeah. single time. Um, I knew that, but I didn't want to like admit it. Right. Like it was mm. this thing that I was like, man, we got in another big fight last night. But OK, he's not really saying anything about it. So whatever. And then also my husband just doesn't drink that much. And that was me and my family would go out to eat and we would all order a drink at lunch or dinner or something. And he'd be like, I'll get a Coke. And it was just this like glaring realization like, oh, this is something I'm doing a lot more than he is. But, you know, he never, ever like tried to shame me or like tell me I needed to do something different. He always would just listen to me when I would talk about it and be like, yeah, like that is hard. But um, he always held really firm boundaries with me. Like, so if I was, um, let's say if I was drunk and I was starting a fight or something, he'd be like, okay, well, we're not going to have this conversation this way or something like that, you know? Yeah. And he really, I think one of the reasons I was able to get sober was because he didn't tell me to, he didn't say you have to get sober because it, it wasn't like anything crazy. It was just argumentative and irritability that would culminate when you're drunk, you know? Yep. Um, but he would, he would keep me accountable if I said something hurtful. Um, and then I apologize for it later. He would be like, well, why are those the things that you want to say when you're fighting? Like, why don't we just not talk to each other that way? Like we learned a lot about what was coming out when I was drunk that kind of forced me it forced me really it forced me to go to therapy honestly um yeah. and it and it forced me to like look at my actions in a way that didn't have to be like oh i just feel guilty for for being unkind which i definitely did it forced me to go deeper and be like but why does that come out when i'm frustrated mm. why is that the thing that comes out because i don't want to hurt my husband i don't want to hurt this person i love so why is that the thing that's coming out and it really forced me to investigate my own like emotions that I was, you know, obviously numbing because it, it was, it's weird about alcohol. Like I feel like I numbed for a while, but then when I would get drunk, I didn't have a filter anymore. So then things would come out in ways that weren't even correct. That's not even how right. I actually felt, you know? And so it was definitely harder on a relationship. I can remember the year that we lived in that house. Like I can genuinely remember so many fights in it, which is so weird because like we love each other so much and we have such a good relationship, but that time was so stressful that we we couldn't even um, like be in relationship with one another, if that makes sense. Because you're just like stressed about work and stressed about the job and stressed about the yeah. house. And and um, when you're not really getting intentional, vulnerable time with each other, it's always going to come out really, you know, resentfully, even though that's not how yeah. you feel. It's just what your nervous system is. And so getting pregnant was like something we were that we wanted to have a kid that was intentional but it, i had no idea that it was going to make me realize how much help i needed like in a yeah. good way um cuz she after she was born i didn't drink for um i think like a month and a half i was like breastfeeding and i was just worried about it all but right at 6 weeks i i was really starting to just struggle mentally and i was drinking again by that point and so i called the therapist and i told her um just so you know i'm not quitting drinking but i do want to work through my issues <laughs> like yeah. but this is not going to happen and uh she was like oh okay that's fine whatever and as we kind of continued to talk and and i was i had 
I had a few moments. I feel like the universe is, for me, I feel like the universe will show me things if I ask for it. And I, as I was working with my therapist, I was not talking about my drinking, but I was drinking again every night. And I think I knew that would happen if I started drinking again. And that's why I was so scared to start because I was like, what if I become that person who's drinking again? And I knew that I would, right? Like I knew I was going to, because on one hand, if you're drinking a lot of wine, it is more cost effective to just get the Boda box at the grocery store. And I just saw my whole family doing it. And I finally could be a part again. And it very quickly became, I was drunk every single night. And Mm. I didn't want to tell my therapist about it, but it was something I was silently starting to wonder if if I'm doing this every single night, like, what am I running from? What am I afraid of? But I I didn't know how to approach that conversation in myself, if that makes sense. Like, I, I thought I liked my life. I thought I was happy, you know, all of these things. I just thought, oh, motherhood's just hard on me. But I was like, I just don't know. This doesn't feel like I similar to before I got pregnant. I was like, I've never felt this way before. Like it was, mm-hmm. um, it was just like my brain was thinking about things in a new way. And again, that could motherhood growing up all drinking all of these things, but I just, I couldn't ignore a lot of my emotions. Like I used to, the numbing wasn't working, the anxiety, the lack of sleep, you know, you have kids yeah. <laughs> like yeah, when they're absolutely. new <laughs> And I just, I think it got to a point where I was drinking every night, but it wasn't working anymore. And it wasn't, it wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable. And it just, I don't know if it had been enjoyable for a really long time. And I think I was too scared to really ask myself, like, why is this so automatic? What is this? You know? And and I think that's, that's a big part of it though, is like, I think a lot of people have a tendency to look at the drinking as the problem. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of times it's the, the drinking is the cover up to oh, yeah. something, something more, right? There's, yeah. there's always usually totally. a deeper, like why? And totally, you know, and yes, like alcohol is an addictive substance that, you know, basically asks more of you every time. Like it just says, I need more. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. And, and so that there's truth to that, but then there's also truth to like, when we do like, you know, I can I can clearly remember times like same thing like overstressed overworked and yeah. I go this is my escape this is like my my I get a break from life yeah for a moment. I get to forget for whatever yeah. yeah so it's it's there's this like psychologist or psych psychotherapist Dr. Gabor Amati says that like addiction is the opposite of connection and hmm. it just feels so like for me that's just how it felt like it just felt like. I used alcohol as a way to run away all the time. And like, I can remember, it kind of like makes me sad now, but I can just remember my daughter wouldn't sleep a lot when she was little. So I would baby wear her all the time. And I was just drinking. And I remember being like excited about that because at least she would sleep and I could drink for two hours or something at someone's house with a glass of wine in my hand. And I can just remember now looking back, oh my God, you were just so sad. You were just so stressed. You were just so, um, I really felt lonely in my own brain. I think motherhood, parenthood is, is really hard for a lot of people. And I think I had, like I said earlier, I had, I was checking off all these boxes in life and I really was kind of hoping motherhood would be the one that would 
do it for me that would just yeah. give me everything I needed. And there's no way to feel that way when you have a six week old, <laughs> you know, no. there's, there, there, I a, mean, literally, I feel like babies come <laughs> into the world and we think that you think that, but then the reality is, is like, they just demand your life. Like they demand <sighs> yes. like constant care. Like that's, you know, and, and I just wish people would tell us that. <laughs> no. And I think like, that's the hard part is like the world tells you like how, that you should, gonna... it should be the most satisfying thing in the world. And like, it's yeah. amazing. It's perfect. And, and you get these beautiful Instagram photos and like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, no, there's like poop spit up and, you know, all the crying time. And, and, yeah. and like, what am I, what am I doing wrong? Constantly. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's, it was this idea of like, this is my purpose, you know? And even sometimes I'm cleaning up her food off the floor now. And I'm like, yeah, I am a cafeteria worker for one person 24 seven, you know, and yep. that's okay. I have my own life now, but I remember then not feeling like I had anything that was mine or me. I don't even know if I knew who I was anymore and, yeah. and not in a sad way in like a, well, I, I haven't spent very much time trying to figure out who I am. Mm -hmm. I think that was a realization where I, I had wanted I had wanted all of these roles that I had placed in my life, like, okay, I'm going to fit into this wife role or this job role or this motherhood role. And that will be the one it's like, you know, circular peg, circular hole, but that's right. not really what finding yourself is about. Like you have to do that work with yourself. But every night I just got drunk every night. I was like, no way I'm turning that brain off, you yeah. know? And it wasn't yeah. until the, you know, like it wasn't until I started just telling my therapist the thoughts that I didn't want to tell anyone else <laughs> mm. that I felt like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe there's more work here. Like maybe there's more that I'm capable of, you know, maybe I, I can figure this stuff out. You know, I, I felt like really, I don't know if it was, it was everything, but my drinking, my anxiety, I struggled with depression. I struggled with all of these, all of these different things. And I just kind of felt like they were just things I struggled. They were just going to be things I struggled with forever. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't really under, I didn't really feel like I had any kind of decision-making power in my own life, even though I was making the decisions, it didn't feel like I could really change, you know, yeah. those things, my anxiety, my depression, stuff like that. And I would get mad too when people would be like, well, you need to do this and this and this. And I'm like, no, this is just, this is just how it is, you know, and just kind of getting stuck. I remember telling my therapist one time, like, this just feels like being stuck in mud. And she goes, well, have you ever thought about just getting out of the mud, <laughs> just getting mm -hmm. out of there? And I was like, because a lot of my mud was like surrounded around anger. I had a lot of anger and, and grief stored. And I was just like, I realized that that whatever was motivating me, shame from my being angry, right? Shame from the relationships I created out of anger or, or left out of anger, all of those things I carried with me all the time. I was always ready to fight. And I was all my, my nervous mm -hmm. system was always stressed out. I was always anxious. And I never thought, Oh, well, I have some control over this. You know, I just kind of thought this is just how it's going to be. This forever. is how it is. Yeah. You know, how, so I mean, I like I, I'm a I'm a huge advocate for therapists and therapy, um, and just being able to have somebody that's on the outside that's a professional can walk you through stuff like it just makes yeah. so much sense. Um, yeah. But like, where did the shift happen for you? Where all of a sudden you like because what I see in you now is this person that goes like I don't have to be defined by my job, my role, my motherhood. Right. I get to be I get to be me. All right. Yeah. And that's a big shift versus like 
I'm yeah. trying to figure out how I fit into whatever role and I'm trying to find something to make yeah. me happy. Like that's a very yeah. big difference. Um, yeah. Were you, uh, can you look back and almost define like a moment of going like, this is where I was able to say like, I'm going to step out of the mud. Yeah. So um, in December of 2020, I told my therapist, I think I'm going to do dry January because we had started to just, so we started working with each other in September. So it's now December. That's like four months. So we're starting to, I feel really comfortable with her. We're meeting weekly and I tell her, I think I'm just going to do dry January because I had started to notice that I inherited some, you know, again, we talked about my mom's alcoholic father and, and he was abusive and stuff. I'd inherited some of her maybe tendencies that she mm -hmm. she inherited out of survival right she right. had to be those things but i didn't necessarily but i you you copy who you live with so i yep. had started to have some unhealthy relationships i of course we've talked about the perfectionism but with food i was like hmm i i really think i treat food in an interesting way i think my brain doesn't have a healthy relationship with it and then i wondered could i could that be with alcohol too? <laughs> you know, it was just yeah. like, maybe. And uh, so I told my therapist, I'm going to do dry January. That's, that's it. You know, and she was like, Oh, okay, you know. And again, when you it's kind of like, if you say that you're going to see a yellow minivan, you'll see 20. It was like that yep. with drinking with me. The second I said, I think I'm going to do dry January. It was everywhere. I think yep. Chrissy Teigen posted um, Holly Whitaker's book, Quit Like a Woman and said that she was doing dry January. And I was like, Oh, okay, I'm going to buy that. And then I went on a trip with my family and my husband and I had gotten in an argument because it was just like a stressful drive. And I sat down, my husband did the healthy thing. He took a walk. <laughs> I sat down and got handed a big glass of wine. And as I was handed that glass of wine, I thought <gasps> like, it just was a light bulb. Like, oh, I just do this all the time. I just get yeah. mad and get a drink and move on. And it just was one of those things where it was like, I owe myself to figure out what I'm avoiding because I knew it was something like I knew there were things going on, but I didn't actually know. <laughs> makes sense. Right. But that's a huge um, statement to yeah. say, be able to recognize like, I owe myself this. Like, yeah. Like if we could all get to that space where we just go like, Hey, I owe my, I'm worth this. I'm worth yes, figuring it out. Yes. Yes. You know? That's what, that's why I try to tell people is like, so often we're taught like, oh, quit drinking because you're, you know, all of these negative things that you are, or you must be if you drink. But really, like, like you said, like I was drinking now I know because of how much pain, even if sometimes I drank for fun, most of the time I was avoiding, hiding, covering up, running from pain. And I didn't realize like what a beautiful gift it could be to myself to like actually process my own pain and sit with it yeah. and move through it. I didn't know. I was so scared. I was so afraid of what that would look like. Mm. Um, and I don't think I knew that I was scared <laughs> at the time. I just thought like, I don't have that. Like I truly didn't. I was like, I haven't gone through anything hard. I had a perfect childhood. Like, I don't know what anyone's talking about. Yeah. Um, but doing dry January doing my, my therapist specifically is trauma informed, which means like she knows how to work through people who have trauma. And through that month, I mean, I was like shocked that we like did such good work and that I was capable of not drinking for a month. I just didn't yeah. think that was possible. Um, so I would say like January, February and March were of the first three months of my sobriety were um, really intense for me emotionally because I had, I personally had like just trauma that I had, had blocked I, me and 
you know, my family have a good relationship now, but as kids, my mom was really stressed out. She struggled with a lot. And so emotionally, we um, just weren't the safest. Like she never like hurt us or anything like that. But like, emotionally, the environment was really intense all the time. Yeah. So there wasn't space for you to be able to say like, I feel this or I'm I'm, I'm struggling here. And so yeah, exactly. You learned learned to bottle it at early. Exactly. Exactly. And anytime I would express emotion to my mom, it was we were we would yell and scream, we would just be it, whatever. Um, and then kind of at the same time, and <laughs> I'm getting sober, my parents are also getting divorced after like 30 years. Mm. Um, and it's just kind of, it, it gave us a space for us all to talk about the past really openly and not always comfortably, but just openly. Um, and as I let myself do that with sobriety, with my therapist, I started to realize that um, in in order to keep myself safe, like you said, like I bottled up and I created this persona of what would keep me safe. Like I had talked about mm. the perfectionism that yep. felt like the persona that would keep me safe. And then I became, you know, in my thirties and yeah, I was safe, but I wasn't really happy. I wasn't really peaceful. Um, and I realized that sometimes doing what's best for your peace is going to feel unsafe. It's going to feel uncomfortable, but ultimately it leads to peace, right? And so for me, quitting drinking felt unsafe because drinking kept me safe, I thought. Um, And yeah, I would say it was those first three to four months that showed me like, I I just realized how much I had been hiding from myself to keep me safe. I realized how much maybe the childhood version of myself or the teenage version had hidden a lot of my true feelings from a lot Mm. of my life because to make sure that people liked me, that I had friends and that I I did what I was supposed to do to make, you know, maybe my parents proud of me or whatever. And it's weird because it it's, I, I don't think I ever thought like these things, these goals are not going to be things that would ruin my self-esteem, but it was the motivation that I had for all of them, which was yeah. I have to do this so people will like me because if people don't like me or if I'm not doing the right things, that means there's something wrong with me. If other people don't approve of my life, then I must be doing something wrong. Right. Unfortunately, that's not true. But, you know, yes. it was it was just what I had kind of built my life to be. And I, I think I thought that if I just kept doing that, if I just kept building and making other people proud of me, that would be enough for me. But mm. sobriety has really taught me. Uh, sobriety, I think, has a great way of um, making you decide what's important because it's such a you know rare choice. It's such a minority yeah. choice, especially in America. Um, it makes you say like, okay, are these friendships really valuable if we only drink together? Or is this only good if I'm only drunk when I'm going there? Like, you're you're taking such a limb, you're going out on such a limb by choosing to be sober yeah. among pe- so many people that it kind of gave me the freedom to be like, okay, well, I guess I'll go out on whatever limb I want now if I'm already yeah. if I'm already out here. Um and and giving myself the freedom to do that, like just whatever you're interested in, whatever you want. I just would buy I I like I said earlier, I grew up really religious and really strict. So like even just my interests were really limited for a lot of my life. And so letting myself kind of be a little childish, even in my 30s, like I got roller skates last year. And yeah, like, we just, on. you know, just we just yeah. like, have rediscovered 
fun, rediscovered, like enjoying ourselves, what that looks like. And uh, yeah, that I think that's, that's been the coolest space is just figuring out who I am without any pressure to be something just, it doesn't matter. You can be whatever you like. <laughs> yeah. I love your story because like, it is such the like, like that's that to me like is is the whole sobriety conversation is so much more not just about getting sober it's about what totally. you just said it's about this like this freedom to like step back from your world for a minute and like remove the coping mechanism and go who am i yeah. who do i want to be what traumas do I have I carried from childhood? Like all those questions that you're, you you began to ask. And like, it's so fun for me to get to like sit and hear your story and talk to you and go like, wow, like that's it. Like that, that's why, that's why <laughs> yeah. we're, we sit around preaching the whole, yeah. like try, try sobriety, check it out. Yes. Like, because, because we know that like it, it opens the door to so much more. I think, so you know, it opens the door for you to just be able to go like, huh, why? You know, because otherwise we just kind of numb. We numb life, yes. and then all of a sudden we'll look back and be like, "How did I get here?" You know, where did that time it, go? Literally. Yeah. And and I feel like that. I feel like so many people talk to me about. You know, I mean, like the reality is, is like your your website is shame free sobriety, and like you know, I know you're all about the the kind of like this message of shame. What what is something somebody? I'm going to ask you in this way. What is something somebody could do? Uh, that maybe is still in the drinking process. Um, yeah. And it's just full of shame. Full of shame either because their life isn't where they want it to be or because of the pressures of the world or because they're drinking and they don't want to be. Um, yeah. What is what is like the, what would you say to them is kind of a beginning process for them to start walking through that shame? Yeah. I think one of the best things, so the antidote to shame for me is just like radical self-compassion, radical self-acceptance, because hmm. I learned that for, I had been using shame as a motivator for 31 years. And something that finally dawned on me was that if shame worked, I would be the most sex successful person that ever existed. If shame worked, if shaming yourself healed you, you would be healed, right? But hmm. it doesn't. And one of one thing that I've learned in this journey is accepting your circumstances as they are, not because you're a bad person, not because you ruined your life, but just saying, okay, this is how things are, not because yeah. there's something wrong with me, not because I'm broken, but this is the lay of the land. Yeah. Um, what can I do? What is like, if you can't quit drinking and you're struggling with that, what is one thing you can do? That's kind of always what I ask people is like, can you just like start being nicer to yourself? Like one, one time a day, like what does yeah. your thought life look like? Like when you even, not even when it comes to drinking, when you motivate yourself to do something like do the dishes, what is a way that you can start talking to yourself kinder just for small, tiny things? Like a way I get myself to do this just says, oh my God, it would be so nice for my future self to like come into the kitchen and have a clean kitchen. She would love that. So when she cooks, she can put her dishes away or whatever. Like, yeah. and when it came to drinking, that was a huge thing for me was, well, you know, I do want to drink tonight, but I don't want to be hungover tomorrow. I don't want my day to start that way. 
And if you're using shame to motivate yourself, you'll say, well, you shouldn't drink tonight because you're the worst. And that's just going to make you want to drink more. And so if you can start practicing self-compassion and and talk to yourself like you would talk to a five-year-old, like if they're struggling with something, that was, I think that's what my therapist gave me was a place, uh, self-compassion, because I didn't have that for myself before. And I didn't know how to do anything that wasn't shame motivated. I didn't know. Mm. I was like, well, if I don't motivate myself with with hatred, how am I going to get myself to do it? But that's just because yeah. I had been taught by other people to do that, you know? That's such a good, like, because I, I always kind of go back to, like, um, like, my relationship with my wife, right? Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't have a shaming attitude and, and the way in which I try exactly. to you know, exactly. relate with her, but like, like that dishes one just made a lot of sense. Like I would find myself really easily being like, Hey, I'm going to do, do the dishes cause I love my wife yeah. and like show okay to come into a clean kitchen. That's really nice. Right. Exactly. But I've, I've never actually like, like thought of like on the dishes scenario, like running that back to myself going like, yeah. Hey, I'm doing this for me because yeah. Hey, I want to, you know, I really want to take care of myself and I, yeah. you know, whatever it may be. Right. So it's like, um, it's like yeah, thinking like rap- you deserve it. Yeah. Or like thinking like the person you love the absolute most, whoever that is in your life, like yeah. in the way in which you'd want to show them love, figure out how to yes. do it for yourself. Yes. You know? Yes. Exactly yeah. that. Like just, that's what a lot of my journey has been because it's really hard to radically self-accept yourself. The The world that we're taught in is to look at our shadows, look at our anger and shame that, mm-hmm. try to shame it yep. away from us. But the way to sit with the the shadow parts of ourselves, the darker parts, whatever, is to just sit with them, to just be really yep. kind to them and say, hey, what yep. is going on? Where is that coming from? Because if you notice, no matter who you're talking to, if somebody is stressed out and angry, if you yell back, it's just going to keep escalating. Oh yeah, And that That's... is true of yourself as well. Yep. That's true of our beautiful little brains. We can ruminate and ruminate and ruminate. And I think like, and this what I, on my TikTok, I talk a lot about like, sober curious, right? If you're just drinking less, like that's totally cool. And, and what you can do in that time before you quit drinking, if you ever want to, is start um, being aware of how alcohol makes you feel in a shame-free way. Just noting, hmm, I did wake up more anxious this morning because so often after we drink, we're going to, we may have negative feelings about ourselves simply because alcohol gives you higher anxiety, right? Like alcohol leaving your body causes your body to feel worse so those thoughts you have are not accurate about yourself you're you're you just feel bad you know and so like starting to um and this can work with anything not just with drinking but when you have self-awareness around what you're doing in a totally shame-free way like oh i check my phone for 30 minutes every day at nine that's interesting i wonder how i feel at 9 30 just like noticing how you're feeling and how you talk to yourself and it's crazy because if you've never heard it before, you're going to like, that doesn't work. But it does if you just start noticing, if you just start saying, okay, well, like once a day, 12 o'clock is going to be my self-love hour. Maybe for this hour, I can't say anything mean to myself and and practice, you know? Oh, and that's what's so true is like practice is like, we think we're supposed to be good at something, right? And t- but it's like, it's called yeah, practice because exactly. you just got to start trying little, little, little things of it, you know? Uh, on like On that note, like I remember... Uh, my therapist was like, hey, one of the things I want you to start doing is to take a calendar and map out everything you got going on in the week, what you want to do, self-care, all of it, fill it in there. And and basically, 
he's like, but at the end of the week, this is the big part. He's like, I don't want you to look at the calendar and be like, oh, I failed here. Oh, I didn't do here. He's like, I want you to like treat it like you're an explorer of your own life. And then begin yes. to ask the question yeah. of like, you know, huh, I put the gym like three times on there this week and I didn't go any of them. And not shamefully, yeah. but like awarenessly, why like be like, wonder why? Do I really want yeah. that or do I exactly. not? Exactly. Yeah, is the world telling me I need it? Or, you know, and like, so then all of a sudden, exactly. like every Sunday night, I would take my calendar out before I mapped out the next week ahead and I would reflect back and look at it and go, is what I keep putting on the calendar and not doing, is that going to serve me or not? Do I need do? Maybe it does. And maybe I need a change to get there. Yep. Or maybe I need to remove it because it wasn't ever supposed to be there, you know, but it became such it, a cool. Exactly. I still do it every Sunday. It's kind of a, yeah. a process for me to like ref, kind of go like, just yeah, it's like you said, like that evaluation of like, yeah, you, you approach your life. Yourself. Yeah. You just look at yourself, not, not in shame, but you're just like, hmm, I'm going to just look at my life and evaluate it like in a, in a, in a way of love, you know? Yeah. And say like, okay, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not going to the gym every week, okay, what is attainable, right? Like, can I walk for five minutes or a minute? Like, I would tell my friends, like, lower the bar. If your bar is too high, lower it. Because there's this really amazing book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about like, you know, creating new habits the reason, like you said, people fail at them is because we're just trying to be perfect. We're trying to like be great at something that we've that we're not doing in our life already. Yeah. Give yourself the room to figure it out. As long as your goal is to like, you know, keep going, keep trying, then you you can't fail, right? Yeah. Like you're like, okay, well, this week that worked out really great, or or this week it didn't. Well, like you said, why didn't it? Do I need a different system? Do I need a different like yeah. my husband thing is going off. But yeah. So just trying to figure out what for me drinking was a big way of figuring out okay, what's triggering me? Yeah. And what is left over from my past that is is still here every day? And and really asking myself, what do I want? How do I want to live? Like mm. because I I think so often we have this in the future, I'll quit drinking then, or I'll quit drinking when this happens, or my life will look like this when this happens. Right. But I, 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 I had been putting so many things off for so long that I was like, I want my life to feel good now. Yeah. I want to enjoy the life I'm living. And we can't control a lot of that. There's a lot of things you have to have a job, you have to make money somehow. Like yeah. you have, there may be a lot of places in which you don't have a ton of control over the way that you, you know, participate with the world. But alcohol was something I could choose not to do anymore. And I was like, yeah, it is making that choice led me to do other things that I actually want to do. I didn't even realize that that drinking was stopping me from from doing so many other things. I thought it was just, oh, it's just yeah. it's just this thing that I do. It doesn't affect everything else. But now it's been a year and a half and I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. even, I'm not even the same person. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's amazing. Well, Chrissy, I want to recognize you and just say thank you for uh, sharing your story and being like vocal with your journey because um, I think the world needs it. The world needs to hear uh, people that are kind of going against against the flow of culture and going like, hey, look at yeah. this is working. And this is opening the yeah. door for me to be like, to have space to look at for change and these things. And so, um, and thanks for putting in the hard work. It's not easy. Like, everything you've yeah. just talked about is no. not like, a, like if it was easy, we'd all be doing, <laughs> we'd all be doing it, right? But yeah. it's like, it's, it's been work for it sure. It is. And the way, I mean, the way I see it is like, 
our lives are a series of small events and moments that compound over time that allow it to be what life is. And so it's like, if I choose to start compounding in the positive direction, when I'm old someday, I'll look back and be like, I'm so glad that I I am where I am. And if I let them compound in the negative, I'll look back and be like, I don't know how I got here. But it's just that. It's just small, insignificant, almost unnoticeable things that compound over time that make us who we are. So, yeah. um, well, hey, what is the best way for people to connect with you? Like, um, um, yeah, I am on TikTok. I'm posting on there all the time. So my username is I'm Chrissy Rodriguez. Okay. And I'm there I, the most. Okay. So there, and I will put the link to her TikTok, Instagram in the show notes, you guys make yep. sure to check that out. Um, Chrissy, yeah. I'm going to ask you one last question. And mm-hmm. it's basically simply if imagine the media the world the the noise that we always hear so much in the world goes quiet for just a moment and it's your voice you get to speak to the to the world to say one truth one thing what would it be oh my god just throwing yeah i just like putting people on the spot on this one casual casual i would say that um pursuing peace in every aspect of your life is more important than um, mm-hmm. success, happiness, all of that. Because peace keeps your nervous system able to enjoy the present moment. And that is, that should be the goal. <laughs> oh, I like that. Peace equals present. That's what I wrote down. Hey, we have matchy tattoos, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. Look, you're, Which you're, one? This, this one? one? Wait, here. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love it. So many people told me I should get it there. I and at the time I had, I, I have enough space, mostly fat. Yours is more yeah. muscle. But like, I, I was like, I just didn't know if it would hurt. And so I did, I, it hurt on my forearm too. So I don't so know. So you guys, you guys scared. are listening. We have the world tattoo. Well, both of us like outlined world tattoo on, our, and, but yeah, mine's up on my, mine, mine, my kids always pull here though and, and shake it. And be like, Earthquake <laughs> dad. And it's going to only get worse as I get older, you know? So I love that. That's fine. My daughter just noticed that I had tattoos this morning. She was like oh, looking really? at them and I'm really excited yeah. yeah it'll be interesting to see like that yeah like i always ask my kids i'm like are you guys gonna get tattoos you know i know because yeah. i want i want like sleeves i definitely want to get more and i've heard other moms be like your kids will start drawing on themselves <laughs> i uh i definitely so i started kind of as a reward uh on my like anniversary of my sobriety each year i let myself get another tattoo and uh and so it's just, yeah. So it's kind of like that. You, you know, I may steal that from you. Yeah, it's good. It's fun. But the funny part is, is like, I'm like, oh, I want a tattoo now. But I'm like, do I have to really wait for like, like the, the, the next year for it to come swing around? Um, but yeah, yeah. it's just kind of like my, it's like my gift to myself. Cause like, I like that. And, and then I get to kind of reflect back on the year and be like, what tattoo would make sense for this year? And so it's kind of yeah. slowly That's storytelling cool. out your life on your body. I really like that. That's a very good, that's dope. (laughs) Cool. Well, hey, Chrissy, I do. I appreciate you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for just everything you're doing. So, Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It was an awesome time. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Again, I just want to say thank you for listening to Braving the Journey. Thank you, Chrissy, for your story and your impact that you are having on others. And I want to just remind you guys and encourage you, radical self-compassion. What can you do today that just, whether it's in your mind or in action, whatever it is, what can you do to show you that yourself, that you love yourself? And if you don't right now, that's okay. Like you'll get there. Just have grace and compassion for yourself. 
Hey, I want to remind you guys, if you're not following Braving the Journey, you can follow it on TikTok, on Instagram, bravingthejourney.com. You can find out more that's going on there. Um, yeah, stay stay connected. Stay connected. You're not having to fight this fight alone. Um, all right, you guys, have an amazing day. <laughs>